United States Institute of Peace, along with Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124, now present their weekly podcast. Let us spend some time talking a little bit more about what is taking place internationally, specifically addressing violence in countries. We've been seeing it in Venezuela, in Nicaragua, Algeria, Sudan, places like that. But what we are also seeing with this resurgence of authoritarianism is also um, a resurgence, if you will, of global protest movements. So to explain that dynamic and to give us a better sense of what we are seeing at work in the world right now, we have Maria Stefan with us. Maria is USIP, the United States Institute of Peace Nonviolent Action Director, tweeting at Maria J. Stefan, S-T-E-P-H-A-N. Maria, welcome. Dr. Stefan, I should say. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Tim. Good to be on. Let's, uh, you know, we've uh, people have heard about the violence in in Venezuela more than likely just because of the fact that it's been so public and the administration has been so much behind it. A little less, uh, perhaps, Algeria, Nicaragua, some in Sudan. Give us a sense of what this violence, if there is a common cause for the violence we've been seeing in those countries in particular. Well, sure. Um, I mean, I think what's been really interesting is within the past two months alone, we've seen two authoritarian leaders who have used brutal violence and repression to stay in power. Uh, We saw them forced to step down uh, due to mass nationwide protests, demonstrations, strikes and the like. So, you know, so those are just two examples of regimes that were pretty fragile in the sense of, you know, kind of staying in power through repression, marginalization and the like that were facing mass protests and demonstrations from all different parts of the country and different constituencies and in a matter of weeks were forced to step down from power. Um, Similarly in um, you know in in Venezuela and Nicaragua we have seen months of demonstrations, strikes, protests targeting the authoritarian leaders in those countries, Maduro um, and Ortega. Uh, they have both managed to stay in power. They've endured the protests. Uh, the militaries have largely remained loyal to the two leaders. And so the protests continue. And we're kind of seeing a, a cat and mouse uh, game between the governments and the peoples in those countries. Uh, Maria, give us a sense. You study this. What is it that gives people the sense of empowerment? That is that they feel like it's worth it to go out and protest, because obviously in an authoritarian government, there's usually a quashing of of any kind of public dissident. And I wonder what makes them feel like, okay, this is important to do, number one, and number two, I can do it and maybe it will succeed. What gives people that that sense? Sure, you're you're absolutely right that in almost all of these cases where populations uh, challenge uh, authoritarian governments, there is violence and there is repression that is used against the protesters. And I think we see time and time again, though, that when people start to see other people go out into the streets, uh, friends, relatives, mothers, um, professional groups that builds their confidence. And uh, I was listening to some interviews with some of the Algerian youth who took to the streets knowing very well that there were plainclothes police and police intelligence all around. And at a certain point, they just said the fear has been broken. We have numbers bring on the SWAT teams kind of thing and almost a jubilant sense of it's time for us to take power. So I think numbers and participation really, really matter. 
Um, I think when uh, we've seen uh, in Sudan and we have seen uh, in Algeria and elsewhere that when a movement and these movements, you know, form in different ways and the leaderships look different in all of these movements, but when they make a firm commitment to nonviolent discipline, when they say we are going to fight for our rights for freedoms nonviolently, this is how it's going to be done. It creates just a sense of focus and unity. And when violence is used against demonstrably peaceful protesters, the regimes in these places are more likely to pay the price. They lose support. They lose legitimacy. And that helps to build momentum and a sense of confidence in people, even in places where protests have been squashed in the past. Touch for a moment, if you will, on leadership. You, t- you, you mentioned it, and I think about Nicholas, uh, not so much Nicholas Maduro, but Daniel Ortega and the Anastasio Somoza regime, which preceded him, which was also authoritarian. You look at uh, Fidel Castro, who uh, wound up taking over after they had uh, unseated the dictator Batista, who was in place in, in Cuba, but replaced it with another authoritarian regime. Who's to know, who's to sense whether or not the leadership of these groups have ulterior motives. Yeah, I, I think you're seeing, um, I mean, certainly in, in, in Nicaragua, the, the discussion among some of the youth activists and those university students, uh, campesino leaders with whom I've spoken, have said, you know, we are engaged in a struggle against this dictatorship. We don't want it to be replaced by another authoritarian or dictatorial regime. And in fact, we're seeing exactly this realization in places like Algeria, in, in Sudan, where in both cases, the dictator fell, if you will, but the populations are persisting. They're keeping up the pressure to ensure that the military leaders who assumed control after coups in both countries are going to step down from power. And they're remaining mobilized and they're putting pressure uh, to push for a transition from military to civilian rule. So I, I think, um, you know, it's, it's definitely a risk in all of these places, but I think there's been a lot of learning by activists. They've seen what has happened in places like Egypt, where kind of the military filled, filled the vacuum after Hosni Mubarak was toppled in 2011. And they're learning that you need to stay engaged, you need to keep up the pressure um, in order for there to be a veritable uh, democratic transition. Again, Dr. Maria Stefan is with us, USIP, United States Institute of Peace Nonviolent Action Director. How much should the United States be involved in this? There's been criticism, for example, under President Obama for not being a little bit more supportive of uh, then President Osni Mubarak of Egypt during the uh, during the Arab Spring. But there's also criticism of the U.S. for having too heavy a hand in those efforts to unseat di- even dictators just because it is not the United States' responsibility to do that, according to some people. I wonder what you think the proper role, if there is a proper role for the U.S. when it comes to intervening on behalf of those who are protesting. Well, what we know about successful nonviolent movements is that they succeed because they're able to attract mass popular support from various constituencies within their own population. And when large numbers of people engage in various forms of non-cooperation, strikes, boycotts, civil disobedience, that is where the real power of nonviolent resistance comes from. When it comes to the roles played by external actors, I think sometimes the most important role that government for sure can play is to focus and amplify 
the voices of some of these nonviolent protesters to condemn human rights abuses and to use various means at at their disposal to put pressure on regimes who use uh, paramilitary forces, their own security forces to crack down on peaceful protesters. I think it becomes risky when uh, the foreign governments are seen to be out in front of the local protesters and the local activists. And, um, and then it makes it easier for the regimes in these places to say, oh, you know, this is just a foreign-backed coup or this is a foreign operation. And so I think being able to support, emphasize the respect for human rights, um, but without uh, being seen as a driver of these movements, because they thrive on their legitimacy, they thrive on trust, and they thrive on participation. And outside actors need to respect those dynamics. And the million-dollar question, of course, what if the support of those human rights uh, is not in concert, if you will, uh, with the best national security interests of the United States? Well, I mean, I, I think, you know, the, the abuse of human rights, as, as we've seen in places around the world, with Syria being uh, the most blatant example, and in, frankly, in many dictatorships where um, you see, uh, you know, fragile states lording power over their populations, these are very, very high risk, threatening environments. And so I think, you know, just emphasizing the respect for human rights is critically important. Supporting the civil societies and the activist groups in these societies is critically important. And, and you know, in acting in concert with other powers. So in the case of Venezuela and Nicaragua, you know, being in concert and in uh, partnership with the OAS, with regional powers, so that they are seen to be taking the lead in condemning the, uh, the abuses in these countries and using various sanctions and other mechanisms at their disposal, Magnitsky Act in the case of the United States, uh, to put pressure on, you know, perpetrators of human rights abuses. But it really is in the hands of the local uh, populations, activists, organizers in these countries to, you know, lead their countries to democracy. Dr. Stefan, thanks for being here. Thanks for the perspective. Thank you very much. Dr. Maria J. Stefan, who directs the program on nonviolent action at the United States Institute of Peace. As we mentioned, there's a resurgence of authoritarianism, but also we have seen a uh, complementary rise of of protests against those. And how do we look at that? And that was what she uh, was sort of laying out for us. And we thank her for that perspective. She is tweeting, by the way, at Maria J. Stefan, S-T-E-P-H-A-N. This podcast has been brought to you by the United States Institute of Peace and Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124.